Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Hello and welcome to another edition of GodPod. And uh, you have stumbled upon the 150th GodPod discussion. Uh, So we started this um, 150 episodes ago, or 149 episodes ago. This is apparently the sesquicentennial uh, episode of GodPod. We've looked that up and apparently that's what it means. Well, you'll probably tell us it's it's wrong, but anyway. Uh, So we're we're at 150 episodes and um, we thought it was very appropriate that exactly the same team would do 150 as did number one, which is me, Graham Tomlin. And uh, also, we also have on the call... Jane Williams. And Michael Lloyd. <laughs> there you are, the old team back together again. And uh, so, do, do you do you do you remember anything about the very first episode? I I do. I recommend. I remember uh, telling a very long joke, and, and it was at that point I realised that long jokes would not work. <laughs> I remember we then had a debate as to whether we were allowed to put it in or not. Isn't that right? I remember, we, I think we had a debate as to whether we were allowed to put it in or not, or whether we wanted to, whether the joke was t- slightly too risque or something like something like that. So we should go back and find out whether it's still there, shouldn't we, or whether it got cut? There have been, a, I did a premier radio thing once where my, the whole interjection got cut out. <laughs> I, I remember thinking this that we three were really enjoying ourselves, but I seriously doubted if anybody else would want to listen. So I was wrong about that, clearly. That's right, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it, do you know what we actually talked about on that first God pod? No surprises for guessing it. Was it, um, did, did Dr. Evil set us off here? It certainly did, yeah. We <laughs> talked about evil and death, which ah. is really positive. Yeah, great way to start. <laughs> yes. It's kind of been downhill from there, hasn't it, really? For any of you who are not regular God pod listeners, Dr. Evil is Mike Lloyd's other name. One of them. One of them. And we we talk about evil and death quite a lot on this um, podcast. But we don't only talk about evil and death, we talk about other things as well. We talk um, about things we don't know about. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we're on to 150 and um, uh, we're told this is going out in uh, August 2020. So um, if you are... Uh, well, who knows what you'll be doing in August 2020 or what you were doing in August 2020 whenever you're listening to this. Maybe you're sitting on a beach, walking up a mountain, being on holiday if you're allowed to do that. Of course, 2020, we're right in the middle of um, coronavirus lockdown. And um, so, so wherever you are listening to this, uh, I hope you're having a great day. We are enjoying ourselves, as we always have done on GodPod. And uh, here we go with number 150. So um, we thought just as a beginning um, uh, question, to get us launched on this one. There's a question that's come in that uh, says, says this, if we've had lots of guests on GodPod over the years of doing it, and uh, people have come in from all over the world to be part of our discussions, but if there's one guest, uh, alive or dead, that we've not had on GodPod so far, that you would like to have on it, 
who would that be? And, and I'm suppose I'm again regular listeners to God Bob will know who the the usual suspects are here. For me, it's probably Martin Luther. For Jane, it's probably St Augustine. For Michael, it's probably George Frederick Handel. So we're not allowed those. They're a bit like desert island discs, where you're not allowed the Shakespeare or the Bible. So if you you know discount the the usual suspects. So who would you have as your number one guest, alive or dead, that you'd like to have on God Bob? Oh, my. Jane, you look like you are uh, about to come out with something. Well, I mean, it's just so difficult, isn't it? Because um, um, the list is endless, but I think I would probably go for Therese of Avila. Um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that in this hypothetical God pod, there are no language barriers. Um, exactly. So um, I, 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 she just comes otherwise, across... Otherwise precious little would come of that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just comes across as somebody um, who would actually sparkle on God Pod, somebody with a real wit and a way with words um, and a quite a forceful personality. And I'd love to ask her about attempting to reform the Carmelite order and attempting to um, uh, hold her own as a woman in a very, very male dominated society at the time. Um, and I'd like her to teach me how to pray. Mm. Sounds pretty good. That would be a very good God pod. Michael. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Well, not allowed biblical writers because that's a bit too easy. Yeah, maybe. I guess that's right. Yeah. It would be fun to ask St. Paul various questions about what he meant. Um, <laughs> but assuming that we're not allowed uh, biblical writers, I would probably go for um, Hilda of Whitby hmm. um, because I think she was a quite remarkable woman. I've actually read two kind of fictionalized biographies of her which were a lot of fun. Um, and to ask her about the Synod of Whitby, uh, to ask her about how what, what her values were for running this joint male-female monastery that she that she had there, um, and also to hear what Old English actually sounded like mm. and whether it's anything like people who try and speak it today. Yeah, we probably wouldn't understand it though, Michael. We probably wouldn't understand it. But we would hope that Hilda and, and Teresa would be able to miraculously speak modern English for us. Mm, uh, well, I know, I think more a Pentecostal thing where they speak in their okay. uh, own language, but we can understand. Oh, that's a good yeah, idea. Well. Yeah, I like that. Well. Exactly. Yeah, and for me, I think, um, I think I, I would probably, if I get, if I'm not allowed biblical characters or Martin Luther, I think I would probably uh, invite Blaise Pascal onto um, God Pod because again he's this remarkable polymath, and I'd love to ask him about how he held together his interests in physics and mathematics, and how he invented calculating machines, and how he um, and how he did his theology and his apologetics um, about his relationships with the Jesuits at the time and his own sort of spiritual journey and what, what really happened on his night of fire, this um, great you know, event, which was clearly a, a, a big a kind of conversion experience for him that no one ever knew about until, until he died. And they, um, they cut open his, his coat and they found this bit of paper sort of wedged into uh, the lining of his coat with his poem on it, describing the night of fire, which is this powerful experience of the, of the presence and reality of God. And I'd love to ask him what that was all about and what, what happened and how that was so transformative for his life. And I think he'd also, I mean, he was, he was very young when he died. I think he was 39 when he died. He wasn't uh, an old man. 
um, what he really wanted to do with the with the pensée. You know, what we have is a very fragmentary text at the moment, lots of little thoughts that he put together. What, what, what did he really mean? What was he going to do with it? What was he going to look like in the long term? So there's all kinds of questions I'd love to ask Blaise Pascal if we had him on a, on a God pod. I don't think half an hour would be long enough for anything. No, definitely not. Especially <laughs> if we're going to invite all three of them on the same one. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? We could do another 150 just with those three guests. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, that's our first question. And um, uh, I guess our, our second question, again, which has been um, sent in by um, someone, which is a, the question of how, how do you maintain a love for theology over the long term? Um, we've been going at this for, uh, what, about 12 years now, I suppose, um, Godpod. 150 episodes. How do we? How do you maintain a love for theology in the long term? How do you find the the motivation to read, to write, to pray, to do the theological work um, that we all uh, feel is in some way our, our calling? So, um, any thoughts on that one? How do we maintain a love for theology in the long term? I think my immediate reaction will be, how do you not? Hmm. Um, it, it, it happens. I have. I don't have to work at maintaining a love of theology over the long term it it's grabbed me and the, the person of god is uh so unbelievably vast and glorious and good that one you know one can spend and will spend eternity uh plumbing some of those shallows um and and everything is there everything is there um and and what god is and thinks and does and says sheds the proper light on everything else so if you want to know how to sunbathe if you want to know how to breathe if you want to know how to sing um you you will not know how to do any of those things properly until you see them in the light of the love which created them um, and therefore i don't think there's any way that you can not be grabbed by it for the long term i, I mean i think i both completely agree with that and completely disagree with it at the same time <laughs> well the second bit will be the interesting bit uh, the bit about how you could possibly fail to be grabbed by it and um I, when my son was very small and learned to play the violin, his violin teacher said to him, you only have to practice on the days when you want to eat. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and I thought that was good advice about anything that you really want to get good at is you actually have to keep doing it. Because I think um, theology is, is um, that sort of um, engagement with it is a muscle that you have to keep working. When students first arrive in a theological college, you can see them reading a book and thinking i don't understand half the words in here i don't understand the concepts so i think you do have to it's something that you have to keep doing um and uh it's it, so it, it really is sad that old story about being able to tell when people left theological college because then because by the date their last book them their newest book is um i think it's something you actually do need to keep investing in because other people's ideas stimulate your own you reread something that you read 30 years ago and it and get something completely different from it because you're in a different place um so although um of, of course the, the thing that is keeping you is really keeping you enthralled is god i think you also do need to keep exercising that particular theological muscle 
That's right. I mean, I, Tell us the right answer, um, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I think both of what you said is absolutely right. I mean, it's partly the fascination of the subject itself. And it just strikes me that theology is something which kind of embraces so many other disciplines. Mm. That's what struck me in studying theology. You know, it, it, it embraces history, it embraces language, it embraces um, philosophy, it embraces... Um, Psychology. Psychology, science, physics, biology, you know, almost everything, everything comes under the realm of theology. And you can kind of see why in the Middle Ages they called it the Queen of the Sciences, and why it was this overarching thing that sort of made sense of the whole world, which is what I think you know, you're saying, Michael, is, as well. So, um, so it is partly the, the, the endless fascination of the, of the subject, the range of issues it gets you into, the, the nature of God, and the, you know, it, theology makes you ask the biggest questions. You know, where did we come from? Where are we going in our, in our lives? What is the, the meaning of this brief existence that we have here? Is there anything beyond what we can see? And if there is something beyond what we can see, what is that thing, that person? You know, all the big questions are there in theology. Um, and um, so part of, part of it is the, the, is the endless fascination of the subject. But I think Jane's right. You need a certain sense of disciplines for us. I mean, it's, you know, it's quite simply one of the disciplines I think that's kept me um alive in theology is is, is to try to try every every day to try to read some theology it's as simple as that um so i've, I've got a pattern in the mornings where i i you know say my prayers um but as part of saying my prayers i will try to do at least half an hour of theological reading um and it's a discipline i've got into i don't do it every every day I don't always manage it but most of the days i do and um it's just a way of keeping my reading going my mind ticking over sometimes i read more than that sometimes i read less than that um but i find if i don't actually keep on reading if i don't ex keep on exposing my mind to the thoughts of others uh, to the thoughts of the rest of the church both past and present then um, i can quite easily get consumed by just the ordinary business of every day and uh, find myself just occupied by um slightly more trivial things than those and so there is something about the discipline of making myself do theological reading every day that keeps that alive uh, alongside the the general you know attractiveness of the to topic itself yeah i think i i can see the ways in which one would fall out of love with theology and one of them i think is um if it's utterly inward looking it's got to be outward looking it's got to if it doesn't shed light on or shed light back back on God and shed light on the world if it's a kind of looking at other theologians and a series of interrelated cross-references then I think it could become quite desiccated and dry and uh, unilluminating it's got to remember its objects which are God and the world um, and the relating of the two and then you get into this virtuous spiral of, of, of increasing light shared and uh, things seem more truly as they are. I think that's, that's right because I think um, one of my reflections thinking back over 150 episodes of Godpod is that we haven't run out of things to talk about. Um, we are we're still rabbiting on about theology 150 episodes later and, um, and that, that is testimony to the to the kind of endless fascination of it and i think it's back to this point about that, that michael was making about the way in which theology 
well, the study of theology can shed light upon so many other things. I mean, I, I suppose if I've had a, if I'd had a second uh, go at the question of, you know, who, who would I want on God Pod, um, alive or dead, I probably would have gone for someone like Basil the Great, Basil of Caesarea, um, and uh, all kinds of questions I'd love to ask him. But you know, he, he wrote this book, The Hexameron, which is about the sort of six days of creation. And it's a fascinating book because he, what he does in it is he, he looks at the natural world. He looks at the creation, but he doesn't do it in a sort of um, reductionist scientific way of trying to pick it apart and work out how it works. But he wants us to see what is, what is the meaning of each part of creation in the light of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So every single part of creation has something to say uh, about God. And he asks, what is that? You know, so um, a rose, for example, is not just a rose, but it's, a, it's something that, that combines both beauty and attractiveness, but also the sharpness of, of, um, of thorns. And therefore it says something about the, you know, the, the, the beauty of God, the, yet our experience of that, but also our experience of the, the pain and suffering within it as well. So he, it's a sort of way of reading the world in the light of, of God and his revelation in Jesus Christ. And, and that's theology. And um, that's why theology is endlessly interesting, because you can apply it to almost anything. And you can uh, read anything in the light of God in the way that Basil does in that text. It's, I think it's Christopher Smart who describes flowers as the poetry of Christ. Yeah. Uh, that's slightly uh, a poetic version of what Basil was saying, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, I mean, th so those are some, some thoughts on keeping alive a, a love for theology. And I suppose, as, as Jane says, it's quite easy. I mean, people who study theology can fall out of love with it, can kind of just lose interest in it. Um, and it's a... Um, but it seems to me there's something quite sad about that because it may be losing a, a, an interest in theology is the same as losing an interest in God. Is that, is that fair to say that? I think so. I think that's very fair because, because the theology is utterly dependent upon God. Uh, if you lose interest in God, you're not, what's the point of theology other than a purely historical one and there's, there's some interest to that but but it wouldn't have the passion i think i think that's it isn't um, it yes because it sort of gives the impression that you feel you've you've got enough you've got enough of god to go on with and that just seems a shame doesn't it what it's like saying i think i know enough about my husband just to get on with the rest of my life without yes. actually paying attention to him going on um realizing that he's changing and growing and uh, and if, if you apply that even even more to God, that you're never going to get to the on end of God. You're never going to have enough of God just to keep going, because that isn't the point, is it? It is the passion, as Mike says. And I guess there is some theology that maybe isn't much about God, is about other things, and that, that's when it gets a bit more boring. And um, one doesn't, doesn't want to necessarily read all theology, but um, wants to be discerning about what, what, what one reads. Um, and uh, but that's part of the journey in a way, isn't it? It's trying out different things, yeah. trying out different authors, different sort of texts. And, and if, if you like, also blending the old and the new, I think is quite important, which is what I suppose I try to do a little bit. It's just to read some modern theology, but also to dip back into some of the great texts of the past so that it's not just modern stuff that I'm reading. I'm also reading people who've thought deeply about this in other ages than our own, just so, so that so you don't get too much of a sort of tyranny of the present as it were and, and and different cultures and contexts today too so that we're not trapped in a western yeah. frame of mind 
yeah, I find it very helpful to ask other people for a reading list because, as you say, yeah. you get into your own hamster wheel of what you are used to reading. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing in the sense that when one finds a rich vein and a rain, vein that feeds one and nourishes one, it's good to exploit that. But it's also good to be reminded that there are other ways of thinking mm. than mine <laughs> and those that have become mine. Yeah. Um, it limits my limitations to read different yeah. cultures with different questions mm. and different assumptions. Yeah, but it leads on to another question which um, has come in to us, which is which again is around this idea of what of theology and the value of studying it, and particularly I suppose it's it's this question about the uh, what is the, the the role of theology and particularly the voice of the theologian um, in speaking about current events, speaking about public life, things that are going on in our world at any any, any particular time, not focusing on any any particular issue, but um, I guess theology can seem like a um, slightly abstruse subject asking questions about sort of philosophical issues that people aren't that interested in or it can be seen as something that is speaking at and about issues that are uh, current in the world at the moment and um, I remember I think we had Miroslav Wolf on one of our god pods a little while ago and one of the things he's been saying is um, that uh, you know, no one listens to theologians anymore uh, and actually theology needs to find a voice uh, and he, for him, that's in the area of human flourishing. What does it mean to flourish as a human being? But I guess that the question behind this is, what, what is the voice and the role of the theologian in, in public life, in current events at the moment? And there have to be loads and loads of possible answers to that, because I think different theologians have different kinds of calling in this area. I mean, I think one of the ways in which those of us who teach in theological colleges have a voice is in enabling um, our students to think and pray and interact with the reality of the world that they're in um, so that um, even if I don't stand up and, um, and make statements in politics I hope that I've helped to inform been part of helping to inform a whole generation of church leaders of various kinds to engage well in their local situation and those of them who have a, a, a bigger situation to be able to engage well um, in the in the the big issues that face us as a society, so I think there, are, I think I see what Miroslav says that very few people will now come to a theologian and say, "Tell us how to think about this." But that doesn't mean that actually theology isn't um, providing a real voice and a real place for reflection in all kinds of ways that people might not necessarily recognise. And it's interesting. I, I have a, an Indian friend who said, "You know." Christians in the West are always saying, in this country in particular, always saying, oh, you know, we're marginalized, you know, it's a secularized state, blah, blah, blah. He said, he said what I discover is that in any public issue, they, the television will interview some bishop or whatever about it, be it unemployment or be it the environment or be it uh, cloning or whatever it might be. And he said, you would never get that back. Uh, in India, we never have that sort of thing that Hindu priests would be asked to talk about their religion, but they would never be asked to comment on other aspects. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that was his perception and his perspective. So perhaps there's a bit more of that happening than we think. And if it's not happening to the extent that it used to, or the extent we'd, we'd like it to, maybe that's because we've, we have gone inward looking, that there is a kind of a sense that God is interested in the church. 
rather than that God is interested in the cosmos. Mm. Uh, I, I keep trying to say to my students, if, if you believe in the creator, you have to be interested in the creation. It, it's an, in, an insult to the creator not to be interested in the creation. Um, and, and I think it's perhaps because we lost a sense of that, that our impact and our relevance has been, um, has shrunk. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's clearly a question I think about a fair bit in my role as a, as a bishop and a theologian. And um, because as a bishop, you do get opportunities to speak into some of these, these issues. And um, um, so, you know, what, one issue I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is the issue of housing, for example. Um, I got interested in that as a result of the uh, Grenfell Tower fire that I was involved with, uh, the sort of um, response to that three years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm now vice chair of the Archbishop's, Archbishop of Canterbury's Commission on Housing, Church and Community. And so um, um, and it's been very interesting because there's not a lot been written about housing uh, from a theological point of view. You look around, you know, where, where are the books on theology of housing? There aren't really many. Um, we're trying to fill yet, that yet, Graham. Yet, <laughs> well, exactly. That's right. Yeah. Well, we are. We're in the process of editing a, a book of essays on on the theology of housing, um, kind of right now. But it's trying to be in, in that exercise, trying to think. Okay, well, what is a Christian view of of housing, for example? You know, it seems to me it's really important we think about that because everyone everyone has a house. Um, you know, there are issues that affect um, some people, but not others. But we we all have a house of some kind, and um, you know, obviously there are we think about homeless people who don't have a home in that sort of fullest sense of the word but even then maybe there's a place they will sleep you know even if it's a cardboard box under a, a flyover or a uh, or whatever it might be so the only and, and or if, they, if they're homeless they long for a home so home is a matter something that matters to all of us so you know it's, there should be something we can say about it and so you know, i've been doing a lot of thinking about what does what does a Christian view of housing look like? What would good housing policy look like from a Christian perspective? You know, how does the gospel map onto housing? And I've got a long story short, but doing a lot of thinking about that and thinking, well, you know, what we would want to say about housing is that, you know, a good housing is, is sustainable. It, it, it's something that is that doesn't do violence to the uh, the environment. It's it's secure. We can find ourselves a sort of safety. You can put down roots in a community. It's something that's stable. That is, you know, you're not going to be sort of thrown out any one time. It gives a sense of joy and beauty to it, and it's, it allows hospitality. It allows um, and a community to be built. Now, it strikes me that those are things that many others outside the Christian church might say. Um, that those are part of a good housing policy, but we have particular reasons for saying it. I think we have a good reason for saying these things are not just random values we choose, but they're actually root, deeply rooted in the nature of God and the nature of his revelation to us in Christ and in the gospel. And so it seems to me that process of thinking through um, what Christians say about issues like housing or unemployment or whatever else it might be, or race, we may end up saying similar things to other people who are not particularly Christians, but it's important for us to kind of explain and explicate why we say what we do. Um, so it's actually that's one part of the the the, the, um, the, the theologians. Role. I think the other is, is sometimes that we do want to say slightly different things. Um, again, an, an example. Uh, recently, again, I was speaking at a service on um, the third anniversary of the Grenfell Tower fire and reflecting on the nature of justice. Um, and how Christians view justice. And it seems to me, you know, very often in our sort of public life, we often think of justice as almost like retribution or, or revenge. You know, justice is locking people up or, you know, punishing people or, you know, getting the culprits and making sure they suffer. 
Um, well, it strikes me that's not primarily the Christian view of justice. The Christian view of justice is, is putting things right. It's making things right again. That is God's justice that we see, you know, in the book of Revelation, you know, putting things right. And yes, there is an element of, you know, allocating responsibility of punishment and so on, but the primary um, sense of it is putting things right. And what does that look like? What does um, putting things right look like in the area of housing or in race relations or in unemployment or whatever it must, might, might be? And so articulating that, ways in which a Christian view might give a slightly different view from a sort of secular understanding, that's maybe part of the role of the theologian as well. And maybe to, um it would be nice to think that theologians helped um, societies put things in a bigger perspective, uh, like the kind of thing you've been describing, Graham, that it's very easy to look at political, um, particular political issues uh, in the light of our own culture, our own immediate set of um, circumstances, um, and and not look at the, at the the broader kind of picture. So many of the um, the issues that um, actually affect us people in the past, people in other, other parts of the world have, have thought about in different kinds of ways. What would it be like if a theologian or theologians were able to help people see um, local politics always in this bigger kind of perspective? Hmm. Yeah, I think the, the putting things right thing is, is, is very interesting, isn't it? Because there's a sense, yes, that is what justice is. There's also a sense in which we can't usually do it mm. uh, we can't put things right we can't undo the hurts mm. we cannot undo the memories and the wounds we can't undo death we, there's a whole lot of things we cannot put right and which only god can um and uh, there's a wonderful bit in um leonard borodin's book uh, year of miracle and grief where a son says to his mother talking about an incident where he'd broken the record player uh, and she was cross with him but forgave him and he kind of asks her about that and then he says how could you forgive me given that the record player remained broken mm. uh, and there's a sense i think in which forgiveness and indeed pursuit of justice in the present draw on the resource of the future putting right of all things mm. they are actually only possible because ultimately there is one who can put things right and we try and pre-echo that as much as we can in our housing policy and our yeah. everything policy in our medical care and everything but we cannot do it uh, we can only point to it we can bear witness to it we can bear witness to it and that's I think it's the proper such a language. helpful point such a and that and that's one of the reasons why areas in which we say something different from the rest of the world yeah yeah because for large parts of the rest of the world what we do is all there is yeah there is no ability to put right ultimately yeah. um, there is no comfort or hope of that nature yeah. uh, and that is our particular gift i think to public life and to public thinking which is the giving of hope and it seems to me that's a quite an important note for the theologian to strike um, especially when particular political issues seem rather intractable they seem impossible to solve but that sense that you know that christians and theologians christian theologians 
want to speak about hope into situations like that, that even though we cannot solve it, the day will come when these things are put right. And what we do now is bearing witness to that day. But, um, I mean, one last question before we wrap, we wrap up um, Godpod 150, which is, um, again, looking back on our uh, long years of doing this together. Um, we're, all, we're all a fair bit older now than when we started. They feel long anyway. <laughs> um, what, why, why do we do it? Um, what's, well, that's a good question. Well, exactly. It's a bit, a bit late to ask it now. After <laughs> but but uh, what, what, what have, when we set out and maybe as it's gone on, what are your hopes for Godpod and what do you hope to come out of it and for listeners that are there? Why, why, why do we keep on doing it? Um, so just quick answer to that question. Well, just remind us why we started doing it in the first place, Graham. Well, really, it was because the three of us, when we got together to, um, uh, to start St Paul's Theological Centre, which eventually became part of um, St Melitus College, We'd all taught in theological colleges before, and I think I remember getting us together and thinking, well, one of the things we didn't get to do very often in our old jobs was to talk theology. Uh, but we felt that was a little bit self-indulgent to give a time to do that. So I had this idea that, well, why don't, we, um, why don't we do it and record the discussions? And there may be one or two people out there who might vaguely be interested to listen in, but it would make, it, make us feel slightly more, um, you know, uh, not quite so self-indulgent just talking about it ourselves. So it was really a chance for us to talk about theology, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And that's why we've gone on doing it. I mean, to be honest, although I'm quite pleased that other people occasionally want to listen to it, I've gone on doing it because I really enjoy it. Um, I, I enjoy the kind of questions that, that provoke us into thinking. It's, it's going back to the question about why do we go on loving theology? What goes on resourcing you to love theology? And part of these, these conversations very much are part of what helps to resource me. And, and I think is is my hope for it is that it would do that for other people it will resource them in their continuing sustained and sustaining love of theology and love of god uh, partly by seeing the vastness of it and the intricacy of it and the complexity of it and the joy of it partly through getting rid of some of the things that block our love of god fears about what he's like um fears uh, that there aren't answers to x y and z and um i i think part of it this is a grand clearing exercise um and giving people some companions on the way um and, who don't know very much <laughs> and i think they're not knowing very much i think the conversational mode again is 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 part of what i like about it because um we don't agree about everything and uh, we don't normally come to definitive conclusions about things. Um, so we, uh, again, give, I hope, in, encourage people to feel that you can participate in a theological conversation to do some ex exploring. You don't have to, to be perfectly sure that you're gonna get it right. You're not being marked on this. You can actually afford um, to luxuriate in, in the, huge, the huge ideas and the glorious ideas about God. That's right. I think um, sparing your blushes. I mean, one of the reasons why I carry on doing this is I quite enjoy your company. <laughs> Just the ability. Well, to... I, I hate to say this, Graham, but it's mutual. I'm afraid that's true. Yes. <laughs> there you go. And it's, it's fun to talk together. And um, I think we would carry on doing it even if no one listened to it yep. anyway. Um, Which is increasingly the case, isn't it? <laughs> So, um, so it's partly just the, just the joy of the conversation. Um, 
but I think it's as, as Jane says that that uh, I think the way of doing it it's it's not it's not kind of preachy it's not you know we're going to tell you how things are we're just exploring this amazing reality that God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit and that we are invited to to know him and explore all that that means for our lives and the rest of the world and we can go on doing that until we until we drop and um so and, and as i think as mike says my, my hope is that that encourages a certain style of thinking in others it encourages other people to go on exploring their own faith not to close down on it not to kind of um you know to, to, to give up on it but to know that uh, this is endlessly worth exploring and and knowing more about and um uh, and taking this sort of stance towards towards theology at the same time. I think there's also the, the corporate nature of it, that we spark off each other. If you put any one of us in a studio and asked us to answer the question, it would be pretty dull. Absolutely. Um, uh, and it's slightly less dull when we got the three of us <laughs> or, or with a guest, bouncing ideas off, sparking each other off, building something yeah. cumulative, yeah. Uh, albeit hesitant. Um, and I think that's a little picture of, you know, it is together with all the saints that we experience the height, the breadth, the the breadth of, of, of the love of God. There's a, uh, if you're going to plumb the dimensions of God's love, you need each other. So hopefully God Pod sparks off this kind of conversation with lots of other people as you listen to this as well. So anyway, we've come to the end of uh, God Pod 150. Um, I don't know how many more there will be. Uh, hopefully we'll carry on for, for, for the foreseeable future. Zoom has made it more possible because we don't have to travel quite so much. But um, uh, so if you are, if this is your first God Pod or you've uh, just recently got onto it, you can find all 149 previous episodes uh, on the website, which is uh, sptc.htb.org forward slash godpod. So sptc.htb.org forward slash godpod if you just put in godpod into a google you'll find it and uh you can listen to your heart's content on your beach or your uh, mountain walk or whatever it is until um, you, you reach the end of it but, but by the time you've re- listened to 149 we'll have a godpod 151 now before too long anyway <laughs> so um thank you jane thank you michael for uh, another fascinating discussion and um so for me thank you very much sorry mike Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.